So I was listening again to the word that James's dad, Patrick, gave our church um, this week and uh, about becoming an artesian well. And uh, it's such a powerful word there. And um, it's so important to remind ourselves what God has said to us because it reveals to us the nature of who He wants to be to us. That's what Graham Cook, something I learned from Graham Cook, and how He relates to us. He speaks a word over us and then He wants to relate to us in that way, according to our heavenly identity, not just according to how we see ourselves from an earthly point of view. Um, I just love that word. And um, I was just thinking about it, you know, being part of a prophetic people is, is not only growing in our ability to hear the voice of God for ourselves or to give someone else a word or to take a risk and step out and give someone a word in a week. Um, it is all that stuff and we have to keep giving it away. But part of being a prophetic people is also learning to weigh and test the words God has given us. And um, our friend Julian says that weighing a word is putting your weight on the word. So it's a great, it's a great, um, a great way of understanding it. And like taking a word and finding like where's the weight, where's the significance of that word lying? How does it resonate with us? And then, then beginning to press into that and relating to God that way. So I really encourage you this week to take a word that God's spoken over your own life and a word that God's spoken over our, our church and just begin to listen to it and say, God, what does it mean to add my weight to this word? How can I start to actually step with my life and actually put my weight on the word that God's spoken over my life? You know, because sometimes we put our weight on a whole lot of things, but actually it's really good just to, God's spoken that I'm going to start putting my weight on that and testing it and seeing how can I walk on that? Um, that's why Revelation 12, 11 says, They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives unto death. Um, because it's your, the word of your testimony that makes you an overcomer. So when you live according to who God says you are, you find victory in that area of your life. Yeah. Make sense? So God says something over your life, you start to put your weight on it, you start to trust it, and then you begin to see God actually bringing you into, like, into victory, into freedom. Because God said something over you, it's broken something. You see, wow, this is who God says I am. And you come into this area of freedom. But that's what the Bible says. We're not just overcomers. We are. More than overcomers. Thank you, Tess. Jeez, you guys are not going to cast away. The reason you're more than an overcomer is because once you've related to God and you've stepped out and you've got victory in that area, the place of your victory becomes the place of victory for other people in your lives. So you're not just an overcomer, you're more than an overcomer. So your victory that you've won becomes a victory that I can access in the kingdom. It's true. Um, freely you've received, so freely give. So what did Paul say to Timothy? Fight the good fight according to the word spoken over you. So we take ground according to the word spoken over us. And then we say, hey, James, I won, I won a victory in this area. Take it for free. Where I've, where I've gained ground, you come and you take the ground. I fought the battle so you don't have to. Yeah. That's how the kingdom works. That's just a little bit of prophetic encouragement for you guys. The ground you've taken becomes ground that can be the starting point for those around you. Um, we had our friend Graham Smith, not the cricketer, 
um, in our home group this week. Some of you guys may know Graham, we spoke on our camp a few years ago, he's from Durban. And they shared something so profound with us that it stayed with me the whole week. He said, when we were talking about the Sea of Galilee, and he said, when Jesus calmed the sea that night, where he was on the boat and the disciples woke him up and he calmed the sea, he didn't just calm the storm for the disciples, he calmed the storm for everyone on the day. And Graham was saying, we must never underestimate the ripple effect of our victories and God coming through in the storms of our lives. Because when he comes a storm in your life, you can, you can say, God, I want that ripple effect to affect everyone else in my life. Yeah. That's such a powerful, powerful way of seeing it. Yeah. And I, I, I must admit, I was really convicted this week. I was walking to the office and I was just like, I was listening to worship or something. And I felt God say to me, you've been so caught up in your own world that you've missed seeing that you're an atmosphere changer. Your life exists for the benefit of those around you, not only for you. And I was like, whoa. Hit <laughs> me like a ton of bricks, Jesus. Um, but yeah, and I was just thinking, wow, like, I don't know what, what it's been like for you guys, but the last few weeks, just like sitting at my desk and thinking like, am I going to make it through the day? Should I find another podcast? To like, just, you know, while I'm working on a spreadsheet, make it go quicker. Like, you know? And I felt just God say, actually, no, you've been so self-internally focused that actually you forgot. Like, you exist to create an atmosphere of our presence around you. Yeah. So your, your outlook in your day should be, how am I existing to be uh, a resource for other people, to bring life for other people? Yeah. Um, and I realized that I slumped into a posture and attitude of just be, becoming way too self-obsessed. That was just all in the sun, getting to Patrick's word. But this is what his word said. He said, don't get dissuaded about numbers. The Lord has got you guys. And in a sense, prayer is a boring business, like boring down. And in due course, your stream is going to change into an artesian well. It's a subterranean river, and you're going to crack a wide circle, and the water's going to pump out. That's a lacquer picture. I was really struck by this part. He said... There's been pain and difficulty happening in people's lives and even in the church's life with sorrows. And the Lord says you don't waste your sorrows. That yeah. is part of the Sartesian well, causing a flood tide of the love of God. A flood tide that will not only nourish those who are here, but those who are coming here and those who are outside here. Yeah. And I was just really struck by that, that part where he said, the Lord says you don't waste your sorrows. Yeah. Because it reminded me of a, a verse in Psalm 84, 6 that um, was like such a lifeline to me when our dear friend Nessie died two years ago. This is what it says. It says, um, Psalm 84, verse 6, it says, As they pass through the valley of Baca, or the valley of weeping, or the valley of bitterness, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. And then the passion just like really blows it open. It says, even when their paths wind through the dark valley of tears, they dig deep to find a pleasant pool where others find only pain. Sure. He gives to them a brook of blessing filled from the rain of an outpouring. <coughs> and I just was like, wow. I love that it speaks to how the very place of our tears and pain becomes the very place of life in the spring. Yeah. The valley of Baco is literally, like that word means bitterness or like, like a bad taste in the mouth, no, like total dryness. Hmm. And I feel like just God says to us, the Lord, the word of the Lord to us today is, you have not wasted your sorrows. Sure. Hmm. 
your bunker, your place of dryness and bitterness, the place in our lives that lacks any water will become the place of our springs. Where, where we've sown in tears, we'll reap in songs of, songs of joy. And I feel like God says for some of us, the place where we've really sown in tears is going to be the place where He's going to begin to just burst up the spring of the last spring of His presence. We've been through, as a church, we've been through some immense sorrows and pain, people, losing people really close to us. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But I feel like there's an artesian well of a spirit of love that we are boring into as we keep falling after Him. And we have to keep falling after Him because we want to see this thing break out for our city. Yeah. Because it's actually not about us in this building, it's about the people who aren't in this building. Yeah. <coughs> I feel like that, yeah, just there's such an outpouring of His love into our hearts. I was chatting, I just shared that with James's dad because I was so encouraged and he sent me this verse, Romans 5, 3 to 5. But we also glory in our sufferings because we know suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. So from a place of suffering, God weaves it all and ends up in a place of hope. And he says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Or as the Passion says, this hope is not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. There's a source of the endless love of God that just wants to cascade into our hearts. And that's the source of our hope, is the love of God. And I'd love to make a space just now for God just to pour His love into our hearts because we, we, we can never get enough of just encountering the love of God poured out into our hearts. As the tears have cascaded over our hearts and down our cheeks, truly His word over us is that we have not wasted our sorrows. And He's causing the water of His love to rise and replace the bitterness of the tears we have shed. Hmm. Powerful. I love how, God, how good God is to us. And um, I was walking on, on the beach this morning in Betty's, just watching the waves, and I was reminded of a quote that I read a few, probably about a year ago where someone is talking about the immensity of God's love and they said, our sins to God is like a handful of sand thrown into the ocean. It's so powerful. Yeah. Next time you're at the sea, just take a handful of sand. That's, that's, that's how our sin compares to the enormity of His love. Sure. And at the time, like, I was going through wrestling with memories of pain and disappointment from my childhood and I was like, I was like, just like this thing of like, God, can you actually take the axe to the root of the pain. And I felt like God just said to me, your pain to me is like a handful of sand in the ocean of my love. Wow. It's like there's not even a comparison. Wow. Yeah, so I really believe there's a special invitation from our Father today. And um, the sense I get is that He says, come and be cleansed and immersed in my goodness. Mm. And it's like I was walking on the beach and I was thinking, there's like no half immersion with God. Like, you can get baptized with a sprinkle, but, like, the reason we get baptized, like, fully immersed is because, like, we died in Christ. Christ was raised. We were raised in Christ. We seated with Him. We fully immersed in Him. we in Christ. Christ is in us. We've become one. There's no, like, there's no half immersion. That You can't have overflow. A, a, a cup that's not full can't overflow. It's like, there's no, like, there's no half measures with God. 
It's like the endless love of God. And I just felt like he's saying he's calling us out from the shadows into the deeper waters. And there's a sense of God saying, I'm beckoning to, I'm beckoning to you to throw your lot in with me. Throw your lot all in with me. Are you willing to just be all in? It's quite a big. He's willing. He, he is all in. He's, he's all in. He's always going to be all in. He's already all in. He's all in all. But he's just saying, are you, are you, do you want to be all in? And um, I just feel like that there's an echo of what David prayed in Psalm 86 where he says, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And there's something so powerful about having an undivided heart. And I, I was just thinking, there's so many places in my life where I just feel like I've got like this divided heart. Not from a place of wanting to be rebellious or from a place of wanting to like, not serve God, but just places where I'm living for myself and my own motives and desires. And it's not meant to be like a heavy word or a hard thing, but I really sense like God's wooing us to live from a posture of an undivided heart. Saying, God, I'm all in. My heart is all yours. My affections, my priorities, all of my affections and priorities belong to you. Mm. And, um, yeah, I just felt like God asking us, like, what are the passions driving your hearts? What are the passions driving our hearts? Because I know for me, some of the passions of this, some of the things driving my hearts might not be fully rooted in the call of God over my life. What are the priorities driving your time, money, and energy? And, um, I wonder, like, I was just thinking, like, I just wonder, like, what would the city look like if there was just the people who were all in? Mm-hmm. Like, if we were just, even if it's like 20 of us, just all in. Yeah. Real, responsive, radically self-giving, no agenda, but just this kingdom exploding with power and radical love. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like he's saying, I'm beckoning, throw, throw your lot all in with me. Like, you can't, you can't lose. If you just put it all in with him, you can't lose. He who, he who loses his life for me will find it. It's like, it's a, it's a win-win. It's like, a, it's actually a lose-win. But it is actually a win-win. Um, you know, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, His power is made perfect in, in weakness. And sometimes I feel like God just says, like, He just wants us to be the weakest people on earth. Just be like, I, I certainly don't have it all together. So why am I trying to pretend like I do? Yeah. He's looking for those of sorry. He's looking for those who've come to the end of themselves. And I feel like some of us we coming to the end of ourselves. <laughs> come to the end of yourself, you find the beginning of of him. Yeah. Carl said such an amazing thing a few weeks ago. He'll meet us at the level of our hunger. Yeah. How hungry are we? Like, honestly, how hungry are we? Because maybe the, maybe the cracks of our culture of self-fulfillment and immediate satisfaction are starting to show. I didn't think I'd be able to laugh on that, but... So that, you can, you can stay. Nervous, eh? Maybe the Father's inviting us to sacrifice our idols of self-pleasure and distraction and time-wasting on the altar of His presence. And receive receive the fire of His holy love and passion. 
I didn't really want to write that one down because it's, I was like, wow. I've got a lot of, I waste a lot of time in front of the screen, eh? Personally. No, I didn't even write that on my, on my laptop. You see, when we've caught a glimpse of the beauty of Jesus, it actually it's not a matter of effort and self-denial and self-trying to, trying to work at it. But it's an overflowing response from a heart that's utterly moved by it. Just totally moved. An undivided heart, totally moved by God. And that's the only way that we can live. Because He's after our hearts. Like he's just after the affections of our hearts. He really is. He really is. You know what it says in Colossians 1.15? It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And you see, Jesus came to show us what God is really like. He came to say, you've heard it said, but I say to you, you've always thought God is like this, but I'll show you this is what God is really like. This is who, this is the character. If you want to see what God is like, look at me. That's why it says in Hebrews 1.3, The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. Because the, uh, another translation says, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature. Jesus is exactly what God looks like. If your picture of God does not look like Jesus, then you need to change your picture of God and you need to get to know Jesus. Because He radiates the character of the Godhead. Nothing, no one will, will ever, has ever shown us or will ever show us what God looks like better than Jesus. He is the exact expression of God's true nature. And I love that Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God. And I just felt today that for some of us, it's like he comes to reveal the visible presence of God where we think we haven't, we think that God hasn't been involved in our lives. Like Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And sometimes I think we live and we're like, God, it seems like you're invisible. And God's just saying to us today that Jesus is intimately involved in every area of our lives. I just love it that Jesus came to the down and outs the forgotten, the neglected, like everyone we would disregard, that's who you came to. And like He wants to meet you at the place that you have the least faithful in your life. That place where you think like, that's the one area God can't touch, that's like God, God's like, that's where I am, waiting to meet you. Because I've already redeemed it. I've already made it whole. That's why it's like, just give me an undivided heart. Just give me like all the keys to all the rooms of your heart. Because I'll just come in and clean it up. You know, it's just like God's always been involved in our lives and He's always been pursuing us and He's never going to stop. He's never going to stop. So it's actually not a matter of us being like, I found Him. It's actually, no, we just realized that He was after us and we turned around and we saw that He was always there sense. Yeah. He's the firstborn of creation. It means the, the word in Greek says the prototokos, like the prototype. He's like the exact type, prototype of what all creation should reflect. The first in time or place. 
is the prototype of all that was to come. You are created and crafted and weaved together in His very image. You reflect His very nature, and He has invited you into the beauty of the communion of the Father and the Son and the Spirit that has always existed before time. That's the beauty of the Gospel. The Gospel is Father, Son, and Spirit doing this beautiful dance existing before the creation of the world. And out of the overflow of the love, um, uh, Alexander says, the Father is the lover, the Son is the beloved, and the Spirit is the love. And this is just like intermingling of love. Father is pouring his love onto the Spirit, onto the Son. The Son is receiving the love. The Spirit is this intermingling love. And they're just like totally existing for one another. Perfect communion. But they don't just exist in and for themselves. And the overflow of that love and that dance is creation. It's like, wow. That's the starting point. The starting point is just this beautiful, deep communion, purity of like self-giving, radical love. That's our starting point. And he invites us into that dance. And he's committed to forming his character within you. You know, I was just reminded of that verse, he who began a good work in us, he will be faithful to complete it. Like God started, he's going to finish us. He's not slow to fulfill his promises as some of God's slowness. He's not slow. And I just want to read the rest of that um, passage in Colossians 1, 15 to 20. It's, they call it the Christ hymn. They, they think it was like the lyrics of a hymn. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of His body in the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Powerful, eh? I'm going to read in the Passion as well, just to give you like a, a left and a right hook. He is the divine portrait. The true likeness of the invisible God and the firstborn heir of all creation. For through the Son everything was created, both in the heavenly realm and on the earth, all that is seen and all that is unseen. Every seat of power, realm of government, principality and authority was all created through him and for his purpose. He existed before anything was made, and now everything finds completion in him. He is the head of his body, which is the church, and since he is the beginning and the firstborn heir in resurrection, he is the most exalted one, holding first place in everything. For God is satisfied to have all the fullness dwelling in Christ. And by the blood of the cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. So powerful. I love it. It says, in him, all things were created by him, for him, through him. It's like there's nothing in your life that he hasn't already, that hasn't come out of the essence of who he is. Like in him, and it's all existing for him, and it's actually all existing through him. It's like 
like no life can exist without it's like he holds the whole universe together everything is existing through his being there's nothing created that was not first within him how's that a thought eh? nothing that exists was not first within Christ And it all exists for him. You know, there's nothing irredeemable in creation. There's nothing God can't redeem. And that's why he's called us to be people that are co-reconcilers. It says be reconciled to God so that you can reconcile others. One another. And then it says, he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He's before all things. And I just felt God wanted to say, like, He's before all things. Anything you've gone through, He's gone ahead of you. Anything you're going to go through, He's already gone ahead for you and He's waiting for you on the other side. There's nothing you can go through or experience that He has not walked ahead of for you and has not taken, taken first place in front of He's before everything. And in Him all things hold together. You know the very places where things are falling apart? He's holding it together. And for some of us, we just actually need to let go of trying to hold everything together because we just know that actually it's not our job, it's His job. It's His job to hold everything together, not yours. And that's why it's such a beautiful place for serenity and God. I can't hold it all together, but I know you hold it all together. Was the, another translation says, everything finds completion in Him. Like you're never going to find full satisfaction and completion and fulfillment until you just surrender all to Him. It's like, just be all in. It's so worth it. And then he carries on, he said, He's the head of His body, the church. And I love how it's like, he says He's the exact representation of God, He's the image of God. And then he's the head of the body. And why, like, why would Jesus choose for a bunch of weird, broken people to be the represent, representation of who he is? But for some reason in his mystery, he said, I'm the exact representation of God and I'll know that the best representation of me on earth is going to be the church. Like, we are called to represent the beauty of who Jesus is. Sure. We're invited into the multi-colored, multi-splendor glory of God. Which Paul says, the church is the multicolored, multi-splendor glory of God. It's quite powerful, eh? He's the head of his body. He has chosen to place his head on the body of the community of believers. And you know, being part of the church, it's not just about singing some songs and volunteering and all of that stuff. But it's actually about saying, we are this, we are this people that are reflecting this multifaceted brilliance of God. So I can't, I can't reflect all of the brilliance of God, so I need you to come and bring your brilliance to be another part of the reflection of who God is. And James needs to come in and say, I reflect this nature of who Christ is. That's why we need us all to actually be committed and part of this beautiful community that reflects the self-giving, radically sacrificial love. So he chose today's lifetime for the church. How could we not do the same? It's about us being part of a church. That's like, it's just about showing up. Just show up and just say, God, like, you've placed me in this community. I'm going to ask you, what does it look like for me to be a reflector of your glory? And I'm just going to show up and I'm going to give myself. And it's not a heavy thing. It's a beautiful thing. 
Because there's so much, there's so much potential in this room. And the Father's saying, like, do you not realize that you guys are bringers and carriers of hope for the city? God is satisfied to have all His fullness dwelling in Christ. And that by the blood of His cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to Himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. I'll read it from the other translation because it's just so powerful. Here's the beginning of the first from, from, the, from the dead. That in everything He might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Like his, his intent is that everything would find its fulfillment in him. If we would be people who would make peace by the blood of the cross. We would go into situations and bring peace where there's conflict and strife, and say, God is able to reconcile all things to himself. And it's just like, it's amazing to see unity in our nation with a sporting event. Yeah. It's so amazing. Yes. <laughs> it's so powerful. God's doing something. Yeah. And if that's what a sporting event can do, imagine what the presence of God can do. Yeah. When we begin to actually not say, is it that side of the story, is it that side of the story? No, there's a better story. Yeah. He has brought all things into completion in Himself. He's made peace. He's made peace for our nation. Like the power of the cross, he's already made, he's already given us the solution and the source for peace in our nation. And it's like we should start living like we believe it. Yeah. We really should. Because it's in him that these issues and these problems and all these things can find true reconciliation. So I just feel like he's inviting us to just say, look, what is, what is the posture of my heart? Because this is a God who just wants us to be all in for him. And I feel like there's just a place for us today where we can just respond to God not from a place of like deep, heavy conviction or um, anything that feels like condemnation, but just knowing that this is the God who everything holds, everything holds together. And for some of us, it's just like feels like parts of our lives are just becoming like unmanageable. And I just feel like God's saying today, like, it's such a perfect place in our weakness to just say, Father, we just want to throw ourselves on you. So Lord, we just thank you for your goodness and your kindness and the fact that you've always been pursuing us our entire lives. And that Lord, we don't have anything to offer you but just all of our hearts because we know that we've just been caught up with the goodness of who you are. And we just long to be people who reflect your glory and your kindness. 
And I just, I just wanted to end with a story from 2 Kings 4. Because um, it's really powerful. Carl, mm-hmm. oh, maybe if you can just create an atmosphere there. Um, but I just feel like there's something of God just wanting to pour His love into the dry places of our hearts. And um, I'll just read the story quickly. It's not long. But it just struck me so powerfully this week again. Um, and then I want to just lead into some ministry. So, it says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets, Elijah, cried out to Elijah and said, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elijah said to her, What shall I do for you? What do you tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except the jar of oil. Then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourselves and your sons, and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There's not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. And um, it might seem like quite a random story, but I was just thinking about that um, here's this woman. Her husband was one of the sons of the prophets, and he died. And I was just thinking, wow, it's like she comes to the prophet, who basically is the representation of God, when her husband... Who was, who was a son, who was like a, he was a seed of the prophetic. He died. And um, there's a sense of, for some of us, just like, we have these areas in our lives where it just feels like they're dead. It's like the prophetic seeds died. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but for me, there's some areas in my life where it feels like the promises of God, it's like literally died. And she says, um, the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And it's like the, like the very, like a whole world's falling apart. It's like everything she has, like her husband's died, and now everything else she has is about to be taken away. And Elijah says to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you got in your house? And she said, I've only got some oil. So he says, go and, get the, go and borrow some jars and, I'll, and then pour it in. And I was just thinking, like, wow, for some of us, maybe in those dead areas of our lives, God's saying, like, what do you have left? And maybe all we've got left is the oil of our worship. And it's so interesting because he says, go and borrow jars. It's like, this is all I've got left, and now you're asking me to, like, give it away. She must be thinking, like, the last thing I have to rely on and you're asking me now to pour it into these jars. But it, I love it. She, she goes and she pours it. And then she pours it, pours it and says, bring me another vessel. And she said, there's not another. And then it says, the oil stopped flowing. And there's something about just being a people where 
where you let the oil of our affections and the oil of the love of God. You know, the oil of the Bible just talks about worship or the anointing and just pouring ourselves on who God is. And sometimes, even in those places where we're feeling like the seeds of the promise of God and the prophetic have died, God's saying, I just want you to pour it out into the empty places. And then it begins to be a flow. And there begins to be a flow. I guess for me, the saddest part of that whole story is when she said there's not another vessel and said the oil stopped flowing. And God wants us to be a people that we just, in those times, just keep pouring ourselves on Him. Keep pouring ourselves on Him. Keep pouring ourselves on Him. And, um, you know, I just felt like God wanted to pour Himself out on us. And for some of us, it might even feel like we don't even have, like, what do you mean about that oil there? Like, what does that look like? So, when I was driving, I just felt God said to me, go find, go buy a bottle of olive oil. Go buy the most expensive bottle of olive oil you can find. And I, like, just want to anoint people with oil. So, let's just stand. saying like in me all things hold together so what are you holding on to that I've not called you to hold on to and then what am I calling you to let go of for some of us it might be offence I felt like someone might be carrying offence in our heart maybe towards someone else some of us, it might even be offense towards God. God, you didn't show up in that area of my life. The seed of the promise is dead. What do I have left to give? And God just says, what do you, like Elijah says, what do you have in your house? We've just got the oil of our love and affection to pour on Him. So Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your presence. We just say, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and pour your love out on us. Pour your love out on us. 